everyone. Um, this is our very first episode of Equally Different podcast, where we talk all things activism and multifacets of gender-based violence with experts from all across Kashmir. I'm Kanishka. And I'm Hadia, and we work at Girl Up Srinagar, under which uh, Equally Different operates under. Uh, on today's episode, we have a very special guest, uh, Sadaf Munshi, uh, who is a US-based linguist, poet, social critique, and visual artist of Kashmiri origin. So Sadaf, why don't you start by introducing yourself to our listeners? Um, hello, my name is Sadaf Munshi. I am a professor of linguistics uh, at the University of North Texas. I am, I'm a linguist by profession. I also write on a variety of different topics as, as a social critic, uh, and gender has been one of my favorite topics. Um, um, I also um, do a lot of other things. Uh, I write um, as a creative writer, poet, and as a visual artist, I, I paint as well. So that's my short introduction. I will let you ask me more. And thank you for inviting me today. Uh, that sounds awesome. Uh, so today we're going to be having a session on women's rights in different contexts. Uh, so with that said off, my first question is, what are your thoughts on the feminist perspective of women's rights? Well, uh, feminism for me, or for most of the people, is about equal rights for women and equal access to opportunities, removal of barriers that hinder their progress, participation, and ability to exercise power of agency, which is very important, and the freedom of choice also. And here I stress uh, one thing that's access to opportunities because um, we may have equal rights. We may say that we are giving equal rights to women, but then, and opportunities, but do they have access to those opportunities? That's very important for for um, for me as a feminist, um, so I could give I could give some examples later if you want me to expand on that. But I think access to opportunities is very very important here. Uh huh. Uh, so like, how do you think the access of opportunities is, uh, you know, kind of biased if we would uh, put it like that towards women and then it specifically uh, is directed more towards men yeah so you if you like look at traditional societies or conservative societies where uh, there may be same law even if the law is uh, laws are same or they have equal access equal opportunities or equal on paper um, but uh, if it's a very traditional society, women don't necessarily get to exercise those rights. That's what I mean. You could give a very simple example of remote areas where you have schools. Mm-hmm. So there are many, because remote areas are uh, are one of our are, are major concern because in those areas, um, those are the areas we are not able to like expand uh, women's rights to. Uh, where women may, there may be schools somewhere in the vicinity and uh, boys are going, they walk, they do a lot of, they have different ways to go to school. And 
women necessarily don't have because it's a very traditional society and they just don't have transportation and other stuff. Um, they cannot go alone. They cannot walk alone to long distances um, because there are other factors involved. So that's what I mean by access to opportunities. There may be a lot of other things. It's just a very simple example. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, so like with that, uh, I want to ask you one more question. Um, the patriarchy in its best form propagates the tagline, uh, boys will be boys, uh, to reinforce that. How do you think these kinds of things affect young boys and girls of our generation? Yeah, very good question. Um, there's an old adage, children are raised by a village. So boys, girls, all of us, we are, we grow and we are raised um, in a community, in a society. So we are brought by product of that. Uh, we all are a product of social conditioning, our behavior is a byproduct of how and where we were raised, what kind of social environment we were exposed to, what kind of social interaction we had, in, was it inclusive or exclusive, whether or not it, there was gender segregation enforced, what, what opportunities were offered and uh, to grow and get educated, both at home and in the workplace. But uh, especially when we are growing, uh, what do we hear people say? Um, our parents, our, our community. These things do have a very, very strong and lasting effect on the behavior of uh, young boys and uh, young girls, both who grow up and as adults and then have these ingrained uh, values or um, traits in them that boys are boys and girls are girls. So it does affect um, their, their growth and their behavior a lot. So we need to stop this kind of tagline or reinforce such, such norms or such kind of behavior that should be discouraged at a very early stage. Mm -hmm. that the okay, um, with this, I have a question. Acid attacks in Kashmir or in India in general have often been justified on the grounds of love what is your perspective on this so-called love that is being used to mask up these awful, horrendous events? I'm not sure where the justification part is coming from because this is downright criminal, uh, illegal and insane. Um, physically harming and disfiguring an individual you claim to love is totally horrific and it's unacceptable. Um, I do not, I mean, there's no way you can call it love, but it's, a. I would say, a psychological condition, an urge to control and hurt a human being who's not interested in you or does not want to be in a romantic relationship with you for whatever reasons. So I wouldn't call it, I mean, I there's no way to justify this kind of behavior and there, there has to be the consequences to it. Uh, I'm sure there are laws, yes, there are laws in place. And uh, there's also the question of implementation of those laws, but the problem is not just the laws. There are laws, it's the it's the behavior and the social, so, again, it, it's a, it's part of the social, social conditioning, how boys are raised and what they feel about girls that they, they can control them. They have a right to force them into 
a relationship or any kind of, um, well, whether it's romantic or otherwise, uh, to have them listen to them. And if they don't, if they, if they, if they refuse, then um, harm them physically or otherwise. So no, it's a totally um, acceptable behavior. It should not be encouraged at all. And it shouldn't be called out. It's yeah. not necessary. Um, with respect to the legal uh, parameters you discussed, um, recently a new commission on the status of women in Kashmir was appointed and there was little gap when the uh, appointment was being done or whatever, there was like kind of thing going on. And in that gap, several reports of domestic violence and sexual harassment were missing in the police stations and women suffered a lot. Do you think it is the law that sustains the respect of the women or um, the citizens in their individual capacity that must build their strong support of every victim who faces any kind of violence or harassment? Well, um, in terms of the missing reports, um, I'm not. I don't. Uh, I'm not aware of this specific report, but uh, what I would say is that why are the reports missing? What's going on? Uh, whenever there's a case of sexual harassment or domestic violence, uh, what kind of recourse does a woman have? And if she does go to a police station, for example, she's taking a, she's taking a risk in going there. So does she have a support system? Will the, do we have a, a legal or a, 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 an institution that that comes to our rescue um we we are i think uh, in in uh, in the context of kashmir we are in a very fledgling stage at the moment in terms of addressing women's issues domestic violence and uh, different types of um problems that women have i it it, it has even it has just started and uh, most of the cases don't get reported and when whenever a woman does go to a police station they will try to hush it out and um not um bring these things up because i think the reason for that is uh as a as a society uh there are many many such cases and it's like a pandora's box when when you open something and it's it get it gets really really ugly and uh, then people start blaming each other and a lot of people are involved at their personal level they don't want for example if you have a police station and uh, you go to an officer and you want to report something then it will come in the news people will get to know about it and then other women will be encouraged to do the same thing uh, what if those people who you are going to for help also uh, indulge in this kind of abuse so they have their own risks so i guess that is one of the main reasons why uh, even the department, police department, will not help these women because they are also part of the same society. Um, regarding the whether or not um, your question about whether law or it's a, it's a situation of would that citizen in their individual capacity can do something about it? Yeah, I mean it has to be a multi-pronged approach. We have to both the law and the citizens. Uh, we have to adopt a multi-pronged approach, which works in both in private and public settings at multiple levels. Patriarchy is not just promoted by men. It's also traditionally 
been reinforced and strengthened by women who themselves have been victims of patriarchy. It's not an easy task to uh, challenge patriarchy in such a society. And often women, especially young women, give up before they even think about challenging it because there's a lot of risk involved in it. There's a lot of social pressure at uh, starting from the family uh, in, in terms of reporting. And even if you do take that risk, then there, there, there are problems with the law, how um, the institutions work. Um, so education from a very early stage is what is extremely important. Well, it's an uphill task and it needs a lot of persistence from people, both men and women who are supporting uh, these kind of, um, uh, who, who support um, women's rights. Um, so they have to be very, very persistent and have to work at multiple levels and multiple stages. It's not an easy task. Did I, ask, did I answer the question? Uh, yeah. Uh, so I want to take a turn to a different topic, which I guess you must be aware of. Mm, the recent revocation of Roe v. Wade led to a lot of panic and protests in the U.S. What are your thoughts about these abortion laws? Okay, so um, so this is about the U.S. Supreme Court rulings in Roe v. Wade, which was in 1973. And and also uh, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, 1992. These created and maintained, uh, these rulings um, created and maintained protection for a woman's right, pregnant woman's right, to have an abortion until a certain point. Uh, so as far as the revocation is concerned, the supporters um, present women's and more importantly, fetuses' interests as opposed to a woman's actual desire to have a child. And, and assuming that uh, motherhood is, uh, is a woman's destiny, her future, and not necessarily her choice. So that's the problematic part of it, where we assume that her destiny is necessarily motherhood and that she doesn't have a choice. Um, there's also a question of denying a minor's abortion rights, because we, when we talk about uh, abortion rights, one population that's really affected is are the minors, minor girls. <clears throat> so we have to think about their, their abortion rights. Um, I think it's a great cause of concern. Um, abortion rights advocates uh, may be ideologically and demographically diverse. So we must look at the diverse perspectives, uh, which can be a very powerful tool that enables us to present different arguments for abortion rights and needs, we must uh, visit um, the issue in a, I guess we get, we must revisit the issue in dimensions that reflect different kinds of needs, women's desires, their interests, experiences, um, and also the values of people who may become pregnant. Um, of course, there, there, there have to be some limitations um, to this, but um, yeah, we have to look at different situations and they can be, each situation can be unique and can't just have blanket laws that ban abortion. Mm -hmm. And um, what do you think is like the logic behind the pro-lifers not supporting uh, right to abortion? Logic. Oh, 
is their own logic behind many things. Um, I don't know. Uh, people have different, uh, in a number of cases, people have very extreme <clears throat> rigid um, beliefs and um, uh, certain, some of those are um, triggered by religious beliefs. So I do not want to go into the religious part of it. Um, so it's, it's, it's an ideological question. People have ideological differences and some are really, really extreme and um, radical differences. So we have to find some common ground from one extreme end to another extreme end. Um, we have to come to a point where we can negotiate these extreme differences and ideologies. Um, there may be both um, opponents and uh, supporters of um, abortion rights may have some some good and some not so good justifications at their end. So we have to look at both of these situations and come to some kind of a consensus if that's possible. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know if there's I, I wouldn't go into the details of the justification because there's there then a lot of other issues can can be raised um, to counter those so-called justifications. Mm -hmm. uh, do you feel like um, banning the right to abortion is kind of a way uh, to like bar women's freedom of choice? Yes, absolutely. If you if you completely ban, yeah, absolutely. It's I already already said that. Um, we're uh, what what we are assuming is that um, women who actually have to bear the child or have to bear the consequences of having the child do not have any rights to make a decision on their own. So yes, we cannot ignore a woman's desire to to have a child or to not have a child. We can if it's forced on them. So I don't think um, that's right to impose um, those kind of um, rulings on them. Um, yeah, it, I'm not sure, did I, did I answer the question? Uh, yeah, I think so. Mm, so coming back to India, mm, Indian women are still subjected to domestic violence. And most importantly, oh, women accept and never complain about this. How do you think advancement in women's awareness and education can be initiated? Well, it's not just Indian women. <laughs> women across the board, around the world, I guess, are still subjected to domestic violence. Um, a majority of women do not report or they do not talk about it because there's a sense of shame mm -hmm. in doing so. You don't want to tell anyone that you were beaten by your husband. Um, it you feel you feel embarrassed. So that's one of the main reasons why people don't talk about it. They don't complain about it because they feel ashamed or they feel a sense of shame in doing so. There's also a fear of rejection uh, or even failure of the marriage, which an institution as an institution is seen as a as a sacred institution in most of the traditional societies. So social conditioning 
also has a lot to do with it. Um, this kind of acceptance that husband is a husband and he can raise your, his voice at you, he can raise his hands at you and can, it's, it's kind of some, some, somehow it's okay, but it's not okay. Um, awareness and education on this topic can come from various sources, um, starting from the immediate family, we, uh, the immediate family members, friends, also from institutions, support groups. Um, it's very important that women come out and talk about this issue without fear or hesitation. And perhaps some women's support groups can play an important role in providing a neutral space where women can fearlessly talk about and receive education and counseling on this topic. It has to be an environment where they don't feel uh, threatened, a non-threatening environment. And these support groups themselves have to be trained. They have to have a right training to, to be able to do so successfully. It should not be the case that they, they complicate the situation any further. So there has to be counseling and there has to be access to so in cases, for example, if you have a situation where there's minor um, minor violence and uh, there, there's a hope of uh, kind of um, educating both people and uh, there could be a situation where the person is also, the other person is also a social construct and maybe they will, um, they will change. So there's, there's hope. But there may be a situation which is hopeless where it continues. So uh, those kind of situations have to be treated in a different way and <clears throat> variety of different contexts are there. So those women who do come out, they should have somewhere to go if they if the person is refusing to correct themselves. Um, so do we have those those kind of places to go to go back to where? A woman may not may be rejected by her own family members also if she comes out. So how successful are those? How much institutional support do we have in terms of these kinds of um, opportunities or whatever you call them, access to um, the, this kind of support, counseling and other things? And if it doesn't work, what further action can be taken? What's the next stage or the next step? Do we have those opportunities? That's also Yeah, a that's a very good tip because I honestly never actually thought about giving women like a place to go to if they were like um, barred from their family, right? So I think, yeah, that's a very good tip uh, on like domestic violence. Benefited to these places where they could like seek refuge in. Uh, yeah. Another uh, part of the situation of women in India or in world in general, um, child marriage and early pregnancy seem to worsen their condition. Um, what is your stance on the status of young women and what do you think like could be the amendments in the laws or what could be the change in the mindset of people to, um, to just... Uh, glorify or somewhat improve their situation? Um, well, when you talk about law, are you talking about India or elsewhere? There's a, each context is different in terms of the laws that we have in place. Uh, if it's India, I 
think in Indian context, really, honestly, we currently have some of the best laws in place um, in India, but uh, are they implemented? Um, that's the problem, whether or not they are implemented. The laws differ from place to place, country to country, and even within countries. For example, in the US, we have different laws regarding the marriage of a child. And you will see that some of them are really archaic, even in the American context. So in different countries, they have different um, marriageable age for girls and boys, uh, which could be very, very uh, young, early. For even in American context, I think we have like 14 or 13 or something in some states. I don't remember exactly, but it's really low. So I believe India has some of the best laws in that sense. but. Um, are they implemented or not? That's the question. Yes. And if they are, are they implemented in the best possible way? So we do have situations where women do, or young girls do get married to old old men or things like that. Um, or even if it's young boys there, I mean, early child marriage could be between young kids, like a young boy and a young girl also. So, I think education on this topic will be very, very important. Um, we we do have some laws in place already, and um, they need to be implemented. Um, implemented everywhere, and also educating people about the consequences of child marriage. Um, so, so that boys and girls, um, men and women, they know what it means and what are the consequences. Um, yeah, so that's my my few words on that and I don't I don't think in the Indian context or honestly I don't think we there's any need for further amendments I'm not sure but maybe in other countries yes there's there are many countries where they have the the marriageable age is really 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 low and so in those contexts it can be it can be changed I think in Indian context we Maybe I'm not sure. What is the marriageable age in India currently? Because I think there was some some change a few years ago. Uh, yeah, um, it's twenty yeah. twenty one. I guess it's twenty one. I I I think that's that's fair enough. Mm. Yeah, but it doesn't necessarily. But then they mean that are uh, are following that, so that has to be implemented mm -hmm. in the best way. Um, apart from education or spreading awareness, um, do you uh, like how do you hope to challenge the laid back patriarchy? I mean, in these small villages, rural areas, still such kind of um, cases come up, and we just have like n no laws are able to justify them. Yeah, I think um, I I personally feel that education. Education is the answer. Education of all people. We have to make sure that our women are educated um, and empowered also. So, and uh, at the beginning uh, of this program, I said access to opportunities, access to equal opportunities for men and women. Um, as long as we do not have uh, that, and as long as we still have illiteracy and women are behind men, um, we, we, we cannot expect um, a major change on this front. And 
again, there has to be a multi-pronged approach. It has to start with the family, school, neighborhood, then larger institutions and the workplace. It, it goes all the way up. So it both a bottom-up and a top-down approach where the government also is involved. We have institutional support, but then we have to have family support. Everything has to be in place, otherwise it's not gonna work. Um, but I think education is the most important factor, um, education of both boys and girls um, and awareness. We can have a lot of different ways of educating people, which is, which works. Uh, yeah. Uh, all right. I think that's a wrap. I wanted to give a, a, my personal, I, I wanted to give a, uh, you mentioned workplace also. Um, there, um, when I started my personal journey here in the U.S., um, I, when I, when I started working, uh, there were, uh, there was a lot of disparity. Even now there's disparity in the pay scale, for example, between men and women. But then we had a lot of discussion and we've been talking, it's still the same. But in case of representation for women, that has changed to a certain extent, um, not entirely, but in some contexts it has changed. We have to give women rep representation in important, um, in important positions and important matters, even when like discussing women's issues and gender issues, there has to be women's participation. We cannot have men discuss, for example, pregnancy and uh, abortion laws. Women have to be involved in, in, in discourse. Yeah. Uh, uh, do you feel like male counterparts constantly try to demean uh, a woman's presence in the workplace? I'm sorry, can you say it again? Uh, I said, do you feel like your male counterparts constantly try to demean your presence in like the workplace? Well, in my case, yeah, I mean, this is uh, not uh, currently, but there have been, uh, there, there have been occasions in the past. There are different environments and so on. Some, I mean, men also, some men are feminists, some are not. They are they're not feminists, they are patriarchal, like women also in some cases are. So um, yeah, there are different experiences. Um, uh, there have been situations where um, men will try to, even at the workplace, they will try to uh, stay in power and try to not necessarily devalue, but undermine some of the, some of the things that women are doing or not give them as much value as as uh, would be appropriate, uh, or there are so many things that can be very, very minor or major in terms of their effect. Like for example, talking about a woman, explaining things to her as if she doesn't know anything. Um, but yeah, there can be different situations. Uh, it also varies from place to place, um, society to society, culture to culture. Um, and even at different levels, it varies. Um, in remote areas, it will be different. Uh, you may not be able to, women may, may not be able to participate in any discussions in certain contexts. So it varies uh, from uh, in different contexts.